Hello and welcome to a very different Ask Lattice today. Um, well, it's only different in a little bit of a sense, and that is that we have a new Ask Lattice sofa. This is the Lattice, I think we're gonna call it the Lattice Love Couch. I'm not really sure that I like that name exactly, but it's the best that I've got at the moment. Um, I'm not joined by Ollie today for obvious reasons. I'm not sure how he would fit on this. So we might have to change things up and maybe go for a little bit wider. Um, I'm not sure that I want him sat on my lap. Um, and I would definitely have to shower every day if I was going to be sat that close to Ollie. Yeah. So today is going to be just a single uh, Tom only Ask Lattice and um, I'm going to go through a number of questions that you've all asked us on Instagram and on Instagram and Facebook. So thank you very much to those, to everyone. Um, and really these questions that you all post to us are just so useful to be able to direct the kind of knowledge and the expertise that we share back out to everyone watching because we'll be guided always by what you find most interesting and what you want to know more about. So that's really important that you always keep giving us that feedback because to us, it's just most important that we kind of share that knowledge and expertise. So I've got uh, a number of questions here. I've got five uh, questions that have been asked by all of you on really the subject of uh, sport climbing, route climbing, power endurance and efficiency. And I'll work through those one by one. I think it's kind of a topical thing to have at this time of year. A lot of people are climbing outside. Um, we finished lockdown now, so we're getting on rock and you're really wondering about how to transfer some of that training and uh, lockdown kind of uh, activities to good performance outside. So first question is, is how to rest on routes. So what we're talking about here is when you get to a sequence on the route and you've got some holds that you think are averagely good to really good and how would you rest on those and what's the kind of like appropriate time to rest and I think this really comes down to a couple of things. One is that you have to have a level of judgment and experience, which can only be built up over years in terms of understanding the balance of a point where it's good to rest and others where you just got to push on. It's not a rest. You're just going to become more and more fatigued. And uh, the second point in terms of the resting is how you prepare for your resting in terms of the training that you might do. And you can still do this in your peak cycles of um, uh, training or climbing um, when you're doing some stuff back at home and also going to the crag. So the second bit I'll address first, and that is that in the preparation for resting, I think there's a huge amount of efficiency and technique that you can learn just by practicing it so we're talking about getting on a wall here and a variety of different hold sizes and shapes and learning the positions by which you can start to recover and actually relax and feel more and more recovered and kind of reduce that pump level that you might feel on a route. And it's just a very nuanced thing. It's something that comes with time and experience. And I found over the years that if I look back at how I rested perhaps 10 years ago on my climbing was that I may not actually be a great deal fitter now, but I don't 
panic as much. I don't get as stressed by the fact that I'm feeling really on the margins of how much longer I can hang on. I just take my time, I breathe, I really relax, and I take that space and that energy and deploy it into the actual relaxing process rather than stressing about, oh, I've got to get on with these moves in a minute. I'm not feeling that good. Um, maybe I've blown it. Maybe I'm not going to do the route today. I don't put any of my energy into that space. I just put it into really relaxing and concentrating on that process. So I think that's a really important part and that will just come with time and practice. And of course, you can do that by, you know, in your training process as well. Um, you can even do it on a fingerboard at home by just putting your feet on a, on a bar, um, a block of wood, a chair, a box, and actually learning how to relax even on a fingerboard. The second is um, understanding uh, the process of what a rest feels like and whether it's good to spend a good amount of time there. And I would say that on any particular rest, you want to take around 30 to 60 seconds on a rest to get a feeling of the sensation of what's occurring in your forearm and whether you're actually recovering. I think it's very hard to tell before 30 seconds are up on a rest, whether you're actually getting a rest. And of course you will get better at this over time and you have a sort of more conclusive answer to that. But I often get to 15 or 20 seconds within a rest and I'm thinking, this is, you know, I'm really pumped. This is not feeling great. But actually 30, 40 seconds into the rest, I go, yeah, okay, yeah, no, I'm getting recovery here. I feel less pumped. That burning sensation is slowly reducing and each time I'm taking my hands off the hold, I'm recovering a little bit more. So I think you really need to give it that window so that you can actually ascertain whether this is an adequate rest. If though, I get into that 30 seconds and it's a 60 second period and I'm really not gaining much, that's the point where I'll switch immediately back into, right, a few more flicks, a few more shakes, get my head back into gear, and now I'm gonna be thinking about the climbing again. I will not stay in that rest excessively. You just become more and more fatigued and you're more likely to fail later on the route. So I hope those two things kind of help you uh, understand how that rest process works um, and just get out there and practice it because it really kind of returns on the time that you spend doing it. Next question is best exercise for power endurance. Now, power endurance has lots and lots of different methods that you can use for it different intensities, different volumes, different angles, different hold types. And it's a really big area of training, which there's just so many different ways of doing it. But I think in terms of the, and it's hard to always say the best exercise. I don't really like being kind of uh, saying like, you know, there's only one thing you can do. So I think there's a lot of caveats in this. Um, but one particular approach that I think is often missed by climbers out there. And so you could say it's one of the better ways of training for power endurance is to really address the duration element of the climbing that you're doing. So what I mean by that is that if you're doing a route that is taking you 15 minutes to get to the top of it, if you take a training exercise which mimics the duration of your project that you're doing, but also matches the intensity, of course, because we can't just ignore the intensity elements. This is a really, really good bang for buck. So a really effective way of training. I see lots of people train for their power endurance in very short blocks because basically they're easier to manage and they're not as unpleasant to do in terms of the training. 
And it's not to say that form of training isn't effective and isn't useful. It's a great part of that training for power endurance that you might do. But I think if you're going to take one exercise that would probably affect the most people out there, it would be going after that duration. Um, And I typically see it that people train for too short a duration for their power endurance. Classic example of this is when people get on circuit boards at walls and like circuit board behind us, it's really easy to go around that circuit board for four minutes, say, and stay, you know, engaged in the process and get pumped and think that's great for your 15 minute sport route. But actually it might not be as relevant as something where you might spend a whole 15 minutes on that board behind me at the right intensity for your goal or your project. So that's what I would put my, my money on if I had to choose one thing. Um, okay, next question is, uh, what's the general limiting factor in um, power endurance training or not power endurance training, but power endurance performance on a route for most people? What's the thing that kind of makes the key, uh, what's the key factor which causes people to fail on the routes? And again, it's, it's a tricky question because I've got to try and like choose something here. Um, every person is unique and they have different scenarios and it's really hard to say you know a general uh, rule but I will go for what I observe from a lot of clients I've worked with over the years and what I see at Crags Outdoors and I think the biggest factor really kind of ties back in with that previous question I answered about duration and it's often that most people don't have the ability to be able to sustain a certain level of intensity for the duration of their project or their goal. So you get lots of people that are great at climbing V3, V4 sequences of climbing. And they might be able to do that for two or three minutes, for example, but they don't train enough to be able to sustain that two or three or that V2 or V3 level for six minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes, really extending that duration, that window at which they can sustain a certain intensity. And I think that's a really common failure point for a lot of people that I see climbing. And importantly, tied in with that is the pacing factor. Uh, And I think I'll probably have to do some videos on pacing actually, um, because this is something a lot of people also ignore. And it can be a big mistake when you train with a certain level of pacing indoors you're perhaps climbing quite fast and then you move to outdoors and your pacing is significantly reduced you move much slower and as a result you can really affect the performance that you have outdoors because you've trained to move at a certain pace a certain duration and then you go outdoors you're taking much longer you're moving at a much slower pace so your contact time on the rock is longer And of course, you then end up having a much higher chance of failing. So that's where I would say is the the general limiting factor if I had to kind of go for one. Um, But it is hard to answer those kind of questions because I can think of lots and lots of other scenarios where that isn't. Next question um, is uh, a good one. Uh, And uh, I think a lot of you watching and listening will uh, have an issue with this and that's how to improve your on-site climbing. And in my experience, on-site climbing is best improved and addressed by spending plenty of time going on-site climbing. 
And I know this sounds like the simplest answer ever. Like, well, that's obvious. Of course, Tom would say that. Just go on site climbing, you'll improve. But it's because I see this pattern in climbers who I work with who say, oh, I really struggle with on site climbing. I don't seem to get up the best grades on my on site compared to my red point. And then I'll ask them, how much on site climbing do you do compared to red pointing? And the answer in most situations is that it's 5% of their time, 10% of the time. It's like a really, really small portion. And then I go and speak to other people who are really good at on-site climbing and ask them how much on-site climbing they do. Guess what? They do loads of on-site climbing. They've got a long history of it and they practice lots and lots of it. And I think this is because when you do lots of practice of on-site climbing, you learn to really relax and deploy the best movement economy, the best efficiency, the strength and fitness that you've prepared with through your training cycles and use that appropriately on the rock. But if you're very rusty with your on-site climbing, you don't practice it very much, you have much higher stress levels, you don't know how to problem solve on the fly, you don't know what sort of pacing to use when you're on-site climbing versus red point climbing. And there's all these new elements to deal with in an on-site scenario and it suddenly feels really hard. So I'm gonna say this is a pretty simple answer out there, is go out there, practice your on-site climbing, and do not just ignore it. If it's hard, you need to do something about it. Okay, last question is, what would you do with your climbing if you wanted to take an approach to moving, improving your mental game around on-site climbing? Um, and, this question is uh, one which is kind of like partly tied into the previous answer around a lot of practice and that needs to kind of, you know, match up with it. You can't just suddenly have a great mental game by um, reading a book, looking at a PDF or watching a YouTube video. It's going to be a lot of practice involved with this. But I think in terms of the mental game is that you want to do a couple of things. One is that you want to match up the experience that you're going to have outside so that climb that you're going to try and on-site with your um, current status quo of how good your mental game is and secondly is that you want to get good at relaxing and being in a good mental zone for on-site climbing so the first one in terms of matching up your experience and your project that you're going to go on for that day but let's not call it project let's call it call it on-site routes, is that if you have got not so much on-site experience at the moment, you don't feel like your mental game is really, really good and you, you feel like you might be sort of a little bit rusty, is set your expectations and the grade of your on-site routes much lower. Try and match those up with your mental game at, pre at present so that you have a good experience and you're likely to make improvements and get a positive improvement in confidence in that scenario there's nothing worse than going my mental game is poor at the moment so i'm going to try a really hard on-site route it's very likely that you're going to walk away from that situation not really improving and taking away a negative scenario which means that most likely the next time you come to do an on-site experience you'll think oh, i'm not sure i want to do this maybe i'll just go and project something maybe i'll go bouldering maybe i'll go red pointing because my last experience was traumatic or not very much fun because I had a mismatch in it. So I think that's really key is trying to create a match with your experience level, with your mental game and what you're taking on in terms of the, you know, the climb for that day. 
The second is around relaxation and preparation. I think it's very hard to uh, on-site well and climb well in this style if you haven't learned how to relax and get your mindset into a good zone for on-site climbing. And I think there's a very big difference between red pointing and on-siting because red pointing is a highly prepared process. You've gone through all the parts of the project, you know how it breaks down, you know how you'll feel, you know the likely points of failure. There's, there's not that many unknowns. Whereas with on-siting, there's a huge degree of unknown and problem solving in the middle of that process. And there's all sorts of things that are gonna be kind of thrown at you as you get on that route. And you need to be in a mental space where you can deal with that and you feel confident that you're going to be able to deal with that. And of course, that comes partly down to your history and how many times you've done that in the past and you've prepared for that, but also how much you can relax and feel confident that you can take on those that troubleshooting as it comes to you on the route, on the fly. And I will very rarely go for a hard on-site unless I can get myself into the mental zone when I go for the route. So I need to be prepared before I even start the route. There's no chance I'm gonna get on that route if I'm not in the correct amount of relaxation, mental confidence and preparation to go for it. So there you have it, five questions on power endurance, route climbing, on-siting. I hope you found those useful today and uh, please let us know in the comments if you have additional questions. Don't forget the Facebook community page that we have. We also now have the upgraded Lattice 365 Facebook group where we have a paid subscription and you can join that group. We have a number of Lattice coaches. We have a nutritionist. We also have a private physio in that group. You have access to all of our private webinars and there's exclusive discounts in that group. You can find more on our website and we'd love to see you in that group because there's loads of value in that if you want to improve in your climbing. Otherwise, we'll see you again very soon.